Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Mom and Dad are Fighting is brought to you by bowlandbranch.com, offering luxury bedding at affordable prices. Order right now and they'll give you 20% off plus free shipping. Get sheets, towels, blankets, duvet covers, and more at bowlandbranch.com. That's B-O-L-L-A-N-D. B-R-A-N-C-H dot com and use the promo code mom and dad. And by Little Passports. Inspire your kids to learn about the world with a subscription to Little Passports. Mom and Dad are fighting listeners can save 40% on their first month today with the promo code mom and dad. Learn more at littlepassports.com slash mom and dad. And by Casper, an online retailer of premium mattresses for a fraction of the price. Casper mattresses come with free delivery and returns within a 100-day period. And get $50 toward any mattress purchase by visiting casper.com slash momanddad and using the promo code MOMANDDAD. The following podcast contains explicit language. Hello, and welcome to Mom and Dad Are Fighting, Slate's parenting podcast for Thursday, May 12th, the Is Grit Good edition. I'm Allison Benedict, an editor at Slate and the mom of Harry 7, Sam 5, and Wally 3. I'm Dan Coyce. I'm also an editor at Slate, and I'm the dad of Lyra, who is 11, and Harper, who is 8. Hey, Dan. Hello. On today's show, we will talk to Slate columnist Dan Angber about the new book, Grit, and assess its author, Angela Duckworth's ideas on what makes successful humans. Then we'll talk to the authors of a new book, The Game Theorist's Guide to Parenting. Also, Parenting Triumphs and Fails, a listener call about online message boards, and a very special Slate Plus segment featuring Dan's family. But first, announcements. Uh, if you like our show, like us on Facebook. We are at facebook.com slash mom and dad are fighting. And the more likes we get, 
the more likely it is that Slate will continue paying us for our show. Uh, more importantly, the Facebook page is a great way to see recommendations, to suggest show topics, to participate in great parenting conversations. For example, right now, if you go to the page, we have a ton of amazing vegan and vegetarian recipes up on the page now, thanks to listeners. I don't know if you've looked at that, Allison, but they are, like, great. Yep. Also, it, the page is full of people telling Allison that the, that the Jews didn't really build the pyramids. <laughs> Uh, unlike what she claimed on our last episode. Anyways, it's really fun. Also, who knows where these conversations will go for listener Megan McBride. Uh, the mom and dad are fighting Facebook page ended with her getting a great essay published on Slate. The essay is called Let's Get Lost. It ran last week and it started as a comment on our Facebook page. That's facebook.com slash mom and dad are fighting. A second announcement. Thanks to everyone who wrote in wanting to be our podcast interns. We are so excited that so many of you are excited to work with us. Uh, we are reading through all those emails now, and I promise that everyone who wrote in will get an email back letting you know what up. Triumphs and fails. Allison. Okay. So I think I just <laughs> – I think this is a fail. I think I did something really weird, but you can tell me. Uh, okay. So John and I are thinking of hiring a 19-year-old young woman to watch our kids this summer. Uh, she's home from her freshman year of college, and she seems great and fun and responsible, and her references are glowing. But John is like a little nervous about having someone so young watch the kids full time. So he wanted me to call her mom. Uh, and I felt strange about doing this. And I talked to our colleague, Jessica Winter, actually about it. And she um, astutely said that we chide millennials for being over-reliant on their parents and like right style section articles, making fun of them for bringing their parents on job interviews. And yet now I'm calling this girl's mommy to, I don't know, what exactly make sure it's okay with her if her daughter who is an adult albeit a young one takes this job or ask her if her if she thinks her daughter can handle it um but i did it and <laughs> <laughs> i called i left a totally weird voicemail message and uh, i'm still waiting to hear back from her and i'm just wondering if this mom is going to be like uh dear to her daughter you do not want to work for this lady what do you think i don't think she will probably do that but I also don't think it was necessary to call her. I, I agree with Jessica on this. Like, you shouldn't you shouldn't have had to do that. It doesn't really make that much sense. And also, you're not going to get like good information out of it. You're like, what? She's not. You're not, she's not going to call you back and be like, actually, she's on crack. <laughs> right. She's not going to sell out her daughter. I'm not expecting right. that. I guess I don't really know exactly what John was hoping to get from this, other than maybe some reassurance that like, mom is also like a rock and. In case anything would go bad, I don't know what. I don't know. <laughs> the mom would show up at your <laughs> house know. and take care of your kids. I don't kids. know. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's weird. Yeah. Anyway. Uh, I'll I'll call that also a, a fail on John's part because he should have made this stupid idea happen on his own or called her. If, yeah, exactly. Right. If he wanted to happen. Right. Yes, that's what he meant. Okay. Right. What do you have? Uh, I have a triumph. Um, it's a very very simple triumph, which is that Lyra had her eleventh birthday. And we not only figured out the perfect present for her, we figured that perfect present out 10 months ago, which is when we had to buy that present. Her present was not Ace of Hates, America's favorite family card game, available now at aceofhates.com. She already has that. Her present was tickets to Hamilton. Uh. Yep. Uh, we bought them last summer when you could still buy them for regular old face value. Because uh, I just knew, like I knew that when the cast album came out, we would buy it and she would go insane about it and she would love it and she would want to see the show so bad and it would be impossible to get tickets then. So we bought tickets before the show even opened on Broadway for April 
2016, and we unveiled it with – we like sang a little song that Alia wrote to the tune of Wait For It. And uh, Lyra was both totally mortified and unbelievably excited. Uh, Are you taking both girls? Really happy. Well, here's the fail. The fail is that Harper immediately started crying out of jealousy and rage. Yeah. As soon as she found this out. Yeah. Uh, And we had to be like, Harper, you also have a birthday. But it it didn't work that well. So she's still very upset. Wait, Eventually she'll be so happy. Meaning you meaning that them. on her birthday in August, she is also getting tickets to Hamilton for not from us, from her grandmother, but she will also be going to Hamilton, but for her birthday. Um, okay. Great job. Great Thank job. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, especially great job, like keeping it that whole time. Cause I imagine all along they've been asking if they can go to Hamilton. You've yes, been like, and, no, no, I mean, no. it made it a lot easier to keep it actually that they're what, like it made it easier to answer that question that we knew that the answer eventually would be yes. And it made us feel better about being like, who knows? It's really expensive. It's so hard to get tickets. Like I made it into more of a game. Listeners, if you, like me, have never listened to even a one single song from Hamilton, email me so I don't feel so alone. <laughs> You're the, no, no one's going to email you, Allison. You're the only one. <laughs> okay. Moving on. Mom and Dad are Fighting is sponsored by Bull and Branch. Love sleep and dream of sleep and know you would be a much better parent with more sleep. Maybe having nice sheets will help you get more of it. And the sheets from BowlandBranch.com are really, really soft and lovely to get into bed with. With Bowl and Branch sheets, you know you're paying for quality sheets, not department store overhead. Bowl and Branch sheets are extremely soft, durable, and a set costs only a few hundred dollars. They also sell really cute crib sheets and baby blankets and scarves and hats. So go to BowlandBranch.com now to try their sheets for 30 nights risk-free. If you don't love them, send them back. Also, listeners, you can get 20% off your entire order plus free shipping. Just go to bowlandbranch.com today for 20% off. Use the promo code mom and dad. That's B O L L A N D B R A N C H.com, promo code mom and dad. Okay, back to the show. What traits predict a person's future success, and how can we as parents help instill those traits in our kids? Psychologist Angela Duckworth thinks she's found the answer, and it is grit. In her new bestseller called simply Grit, Duckworth argues that grit, which she defines as a mix of perseverance and passion, is one of the most important predictors of success and that we can all grow our grit and grow our kids' grit. Duckworth writes that she wants to use psychological science to help kids achieve and thrive. You can expect to hear a lot about this idea in the coming months, but Slate columnist Dan Angbar is skeptical of what he calls the Church of Grit and wrote a big piece for Slate saying so earlier this week, and he's here to tell us why he's not aboard the Grit train. Hey, Dan. Hey. Uh, okay, so before we get started, I was hoping we could all take the Grit test that Duckworth devised uh, to see where we rank. Is everyone cool with that? I'm ready. Mm-hmm. Okay, uh, and listeners, you should take this along with us, um, and we'll post on our Facebook page how to score it. Okay, so question one. Are you guys ready? Ready. New ideas and projects sometimes distract me from previous ones. Very much like me. Very much like me. Very much like me. Setbacks don't discourage me. Somewhat like me. No, not very much like me. Not much like me, also. You know what I'm going to say? I'm going to change mine. I'm going to change mine to mostly like me. Mostly like me. I have been obsessed with a certain idea or project for a short time, but later lost interest. (laughs) Definition of me. Very yeah, much like very, me. Very, 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 very much like me. <laughs> I am a hard worker. I'm going to go with uh, somewhat like me. 
Oh, Allison. Mostly like me. Most Mostly like me, I think. I often set a goal, but later choose to pursue a different one. Not much like me. That, that sort of contradicts an earlier answer that you gave, but that's fine. Uh, I'm going to say somewhat like me. Somewhat like me. I have difficulty maintaining my focus on projects that take more than a few months to complete. I'm bored of this test. Can we do something else? <laughs> very uh, much like me. Very, very much like me. Not much like me. I have a f- I'm getting the sense that Dan Coyce is grittier than we are. Uh, I finish whatever I begin. Not like me at all. Somewhat like me. Somewhat like me. Yeah, somewhat. I am diligent. Very much like me. Somewhat like me. Somewhat like me. I think you guys are undervaluing yourselves. You could not be good at what you did if you weren't diligent. Well, it, I mean, these guys, come on. We know what the right answers to these questions are. So this is sort right, of that's like why a, you give a the right self-esteem answer. test as much right. as a grit my self, test. My self-esteem is great. <laughs> my grid esteem. All right. So um, Anne is going to grade this for us while we discuss with you. And then she's going to reveal how much less gritty than me you guys are. At the, uh, at the end of our segment. Uh, okay, Dan. Yes. In your piece, you seem pretty troubled about how this idea of grit has so embedded itself into our culture in the past few years. You list off a bunch of books by other people who are basically making the Duckworth argument. Uh, but besides that, besides the proliferation of best-selling books, how has this idea of grit infiltrated our lives and our kids' lives? Aside from the books, well, I mean, it's in our schools. It's in um, the New York Times had a story about uh, grit testing in California public schools. So this is a formal part of the curriculum. Uh, not only are the students being graded on their grit, but teachers and the schools themselves are being graded on the grit. And I mean, I should say that Angela Duckworth herself thinks this, that's a bad idea. But it just goes to show that you know this idea of uh, of grit and character building more broadly is, I think, ubiquitous in sort of educational circles right now. You talk in the piece about how grit as defined by Duckworth is actually not a new idea and that it's kind of a branch of a trait that it sounds like you consider legitimately important or an important factor in determining success, which is conscientiousness. Yeah. So grit is, um, you know, one way to think about it is that it overlaps um, in a lot of ways with measure called conscientiousness. It also could be considered what they call in personality psychology a facet of conscientiousness. So conscientiousness is one of the big five personality traits. And these were devised to kind of, you know, collect up all of these individual personality traits that psychologists had come up with over the years. What are the five? The five are agreeableness, um, openness, conscientiousness and something and something else. One was like neuroticism, right? Neuroticism. Is that important? Is that considered important? I'm, I'm asking for a friend. <laughs> <laughs> for doing well in school? <laughs> for success, yeah. These are like predictors of success, right? I don't know. Okay. Consci- in terms of predicting success, and again, success in a lot of these studies is, is um, quantified by how well you do in school. Conscientiousness of all the big five personality traits seems to be the most important one. And it makes sense because it includes things like uh, willpower, industriousness. Again, these are sometimes called facets of conscientiousness, grit, and other things um, about how you know responsible you are, how even how punctual you are. That that's a big deal and how well you do in school. Do you get to class on time? Um, do you do your homework? So all of those kinds of qualities a person might have are tend to be, you know, encompassed by their conscientiousness. So it seems like the, I mean, so the point of sort of the first half of your piece is like, is that grit as a marker is essentially something that Angela Duckworth in her research 
made up that is not that different from other things that we measure, but is actually less quantifiably successful in fostering good grades or whatever than this thing that we already know about. Well, Angela Duckworth, I mean, she invented grit and the grit scale, but she acknowledges that um, that grit is, you know, very much like and perhaps identical to other things that researchers have talked about in the past, like willpower or, um, you know, you could go all the way back and, and talk about like the superego and, and what used to be measured by psychologists as something called superego strength. So I don't think she's saying look, I've invented something totally new. But the claim that she makes in the book is that grit or willpower or industriousness or whatever you call it is, she says, it's as important as intelligence or maybe more so, and that it, and therefore it is the thing that we should be focusing on um, because we don't really want to think about things like cognitive ability. So that, that's, the, that's the message of the book. And then I think that's sort of two points that fit together. Right. And the further message of the book is that grit can be taught and here's how to do it. And that's what you really seem to be pushing against in this piece is this notion that there, that we have any understanding of how you can actually teach such a quality. Yeah. I mean, even taking a step back, I, I would push back against the sort of insane premise of the book, which she spends a couple of chapters on at the beginning, which is this idea that Americans don't already value grit, that we somehow we, we overvalue the importance of, um, you know, native intellect, and we undervalue the importance of getting someplace through hard work. I mean, it's just, it's crazy that that's, that that's where she begins as, as a, you know, a surprising idea. I, do you think, it, does that strike you as, 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 we, as weird as it strikes me? Yeah, I mean, the whole idea of the, like, pulling yourself up by your bootstraps and self-made right. man, that's, like, as American as it comes. Right. So, I mean, I have this, this sort of big question about the book, which is, what's the point? What are we, wh- what's missing now from our understanding of, of how kids succeed if the cure is to remind us that kids better learn to work hard? I, it's so strange. But I, think, but I think that does resonate with parents, though. Like, it certainly resonated with me when I first heard about it. And I heard about it from uh, my sister-in-law, who is an educator and who is really, like, signed on in a big way to Angela Duckworth and this notion of grit as something that she really sees the kids in her classes and the kids that she deals with missing. And I think parents feel that too, that like, I know I feel it about my kids that they have like no stick to and they don't, they are not persistent and they are not the sort of bold in the face of, uh, of any kind of fail, like minor failure. You and feel that more because, than like the generation, like than, than we were like, you think that's gotten, I don't know. I certainly feel like, I mean, certainly the stereotype about parents of this generation and one that, I see all the time and I try not to fall into, right, is that we're helicopter parents who always like swoop in and solve our kids' problems for them. And so I think we have a natural inclination or concern that as a result of that, our kids are not ever able to deal with any kind of stumbling block in the road. And that seems like the definition of grit to me. Well, I mean, in a way, to the extent that grit is an I find the concept interesting. It's in the idea that maybe this is equality that some kids have, maybe your kids don't. Um, that <laughs> Sorry, Dan. I'm just going by what, what the guy is telling me. Um, that that it's actually an, an, a really fundamental personality trait, and that there's nothing you can do about it. Like that's the interesting point. That it is kind of like 
intelligence. Although, I mean, there's a side thing. Maybe you can improve someone's, you know, tested cognitive ability through some kinds of interventions. But anyway, the idea that, yeah, you know, I, you know, I might be a smart person, but I'm not very gritty. Oh, well, you know, that's just who I am. Like, that's kind of interesting. And I think that's probably the case. So that's what you believe the science supports as opposed to Angela Duckworth's idea that you're a smart person, you're not that gritty, but through a sustained set of tasks and trainings, we can make you more gritty and make you a bigger success than you would be otherwise. Like you'd write for a better magazine than Slate. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think there's this bias to think that, you know, we're we're all kind of afraid of intelligence, talking about intelligence, thinking about intelligence. Um, it's a problematic concept, sure. But I think there's this bias to think, oh, well, that's just something you're born with, which is part of why it's so scary to talk about, because you get into all these, you know, difficult areas of what if this person was born smarter than I am. But I, we, we're just, you know, do we not think the same thing of, of personality? I, my nieces are twins. They had their fraternal twins. They had different personalities in the womb, as far as I know, in terms of who was kicking and pushing. They had different personalities in, you know, fresh, you know, freshly born. That's the weirdest phrase I've ever used. <laughs> they had different personalities right fresh after they were born. Fresh out of the oven. <laughs> yeah, that was what I was going to say. They had different personalities right after they were born. They have different personalities today. I mean, I, I think, again, that's something that people intuit, that personalities are, are pretty hardwired. And yet, I think there is running through the Angela Duckworth book and through the, the cult of grit is this idea that, oh, because it's not intelligence, this is something where we can really intervene and help, you know, kids and, and who are struggling in school. It's just kind of makes us feel better because for some reason, oh, well, grit is fixable. Intelligence probably isn't. The other thing that bothers me about this idea, and Judith Shulovitz in her review of the book um, argue pre pretty persuasively that the emphasis on grit as a path toward winning, I don't know if, this, if you're going to feel sympathetic to this at all, Dan, but um, might be just like sending our kids the wrong message. She wrote that a focus on grit decouples character education from moral development, and Duckworth never questions the values of a society geared toward winning, nor does she address the systemic barriers to success. Does that bother you? Oh, yeah. So, yeah. It, I mean, she talks about her purposeful top-level goal. So she, her background is as a McKinsey consultant. I think in a lot of ways the book is structured as a McKinsey presentation, and it, it's very effective for that reason. So she talks about her purposeful top-level goal, which is to, as you quoted, to use psychological science to help kids achieve and thrive. Actually, that's the way she phrases it the first time in the book. Every other time she mentions it, she takes out achieve. And I just kept paying attention to that because the achieve part of that first construction kind of gave me the heebie-jeebies. Yeah. Like, what does achievement mean? Well, in her study, she looks at, you know, winning the spelling bee or placing in a final round in the spelling bee or getting good grades. And in other st kinds of studies, it's like how much money you make. I mean, these are – this is one idea of what achieve I, – I, I relate to that. Like, if you're going to do this kind of research, how else are you going to quantify the outcome like grades is a pretty good way. It's gonna. It's good to get good grades in terms of, um, I'm sure, how happy you are in the rest of your life, or how much you have to struggle in the rest of your life. But it's still, it's it's kind of awkward. I don't know, guys. I I still feel like there are most parents are going to read this and are going to understand that should grit 
exist as a measurable thing, or even if it is simply a slightly less measurable character trait that we all kind of recognize but can't be quantified as easily as Angela Duckworth claims it can be. It's clearly something that people can relate to that can make your life better, that persistence in the things that are important to you and an unwillingness to be deterred by like minor setbacks is like useful. Yeah, but there are major setbacks. Like, don't you think that it can possibly be kind of dangerous? Like in, you know, in a school with a lot of underprivileged kids who are just told to, you know, work harder, that it's not about the resources or about their life experience. I mean, if it's if it is boiled down to this one thing and, and not I don't think that she's arguing that it should be boiled down to this one thing. But that seems like a not great to me. I mean, so there's two twin studies that were done on grit, and they both found that grit is is heritable. So, you know, identical twins are going to be more similar in their level of grittiness uh, than fraternal twins, even if they're raised in separate places. But they also found that the influence of shared environment, so that's going to cover, you know, how they were, how their parents treated them, what kind of school they went to, had zero influence on differences in grit among the the twin pairs. So. I mean, I just even I think we. You're right. It's intuitive that grit is important, and I think the the studies bear that out. It does have an influence on on what kind of grades you get, for example. But I just it's so unclear whether there's really anything that can be done about it. All right. So I want to step back a little from this very focused discussion and talk about the the Duckworth phenomenon more broadly. Dan, you've written a lot uh, in many different circumstances about the sort of popularization of social science and scientific research in different ways and the way that then writers take these ideas and package them perfectly for the marketplace so that they can become the next Malcolm Gladwell or the next Jonah Lair or the next Angela Duckworth. And she has more of a scientific background than maybe some of these other writers do, but they're all sort of doing the same thing. Um, and it's been interesting watching Angela Duckworth take this idea as you say in your piece, package it perfectly. In fact, come up with one name for it that wasn't quite as appealing and then hit upon the perfect word for it, grit, which is like so sticky and immediately appealing to a person like me. And then sort of transform this into a little cottage industry, into a genius grant, into a a long and profitable, presumably speaking career, and now into this book, which is probably going to be a gigantic hit and influence people everywhere. As someone who observes this sort of phenomenon happening happening over and over again, it's a phenomenon that parents in particular see in action all the time because we're constantly trying to figure out what the hell we should be doing about our kids and we look to experts to tell us those things. If you have an Angela Duckworth who has like a kind of sticky, interesting idea at the beginning of her career and has the chance to research it out, what alternate path would you want that person to take to like make that idea to rigorously investigate that idea as opposed to like sort of immediately going the packaging and presentation route. What do I think Angela Duckworth should do or should have done? Should have done or anyone who has sort of this kind of idea that you can immediately hear like the cash register bells chiming in your head when you think of it. Well, I mean, in the in the book, there's this one part where she talks about what's that she gets asked. She goes, she's kind of this guru now. So she goes around giving talks to people, to parents and educators. And she's often asked, like, what's the best way to make my kid as gritty as possible? And in the book, she says, you know, there really isn't, we don't have any research to tell us the best way to do it. So I could just not say anything at all. But I'm a mom. I have two kids. And 
I want to just give the best answer possible. So I'm going to just tell you a whole bunch of stuff based on my best impressions as a psychologist. And uh, yeah, they're just, you know, take them for take them for what they are. Now, do I think that she shouldn't dispense that advice? I mean, kind of, yeah. <laughs> this is ending up in, in federal education policy. I, I mean, I, I, don't, to, I don't really blame Angela Duckworth. I, I blame the people who are responsible for um, looking at the, you know, the, the best research on how to intervene to make children's lives better and then to implement policies. I think those are the people who are at fault for just, you know, watching a TED Talk and then say and then you know writing up a, a policy document that's that's where the problem is uh, all right daniel and allison are you ready to hear how gritty we actually are yes and give us our scores okay so grit here's your score dan e you got 2.375 wow that's even lower than when i did the <laughs> grit test on myself before I'm going in the wrong direction. Allison, you got 2.25. Mm-hmm. So even less gritty than Angmer. Yeah. And then Dan K, you got 2.875. Oh, I'm shocked. I thought Dan was going to inflate his own grittiness to okay, a four. Okay. We're, we're all very low grit. So it's not, yeah, we're, we're all in the, like, the bottom sixth of the U.S. adult population. But I bet that a lot of journalists are. We're just more honest than most of the adult population. All right. So the book is called Grit. Uh, The article on Slate is called Is Grit Really the Key to Success? It's by Dan Angber. We'll post a link on our show page. And we want to hear, you know, we want you guys to take the test. Are you grittier than us? We're apparently not gritty, although I'm still slightly more gritty than you two. But also we want to know, like, is this an idea that you feel has value even though there's, like, there's clearly not a real scientific basis for it. I think p- many people are going to feel that way. I kind of sneakily feel that way anyway. Um, but, I, but I also recognize that what that Angela Duckworth is like creating something not exactly out of whole cloth, but something that exactly suits the needs of the pop sociology guru. All right. Thank you so much, Dan. Thanks for having me on. Inspire your kids to learn about the world with Little Passports. This award-winning educational subscription sends you monthly packages in the mail, each featuring a new country or world theme. Packages are addressed to your child and are filled with letters, souvenirs, stickers, activities, and more. It's a great way for kids to learn about geography and cultures around the globe. And also food. A recent package we got from Little Passports, which included a memory game with cards of foods from around the world, actually inspired us to take our kids out for dim sum for the first time. And they hated it. But (laughs) mom and dad are fighting listeners can save 40% on their first month of Little Passports today with the code MOMANDDAD. Learn more and take a peek inside the monthly packages at littlepassports.com slash momanddad. Okay, on to our listener call. All right. For our listener question, uh, you know, as as listeners know, every week we answer a question from a listener. If you've got a question you want us to answer, give us a call at 424-255-7833. That's 424-255-RUDE. Today's question comes from uh, some guy. Let's listen. Hi, my name is Dan. Uh, I live in Virginia. I have a question for mom and dad are fighting. Love the show. Uh, my daughter, who just turned 11, uh, let's call her Myra, 
she is not on social media in like the traditional sense, but she does uh, use this app, this coding app for school called Hopscotch, and it has within it like a message board, an old school message board type system. And I think it was originally meant to be like, you know, kids asking kids questions about coding. Um, but in the tradition of message boards everywhere, it has sort of expanded to cover like everything that kids are thinking about uh, with some measure of drama, the way kids often are. So she has been talking a lot to us about how important her message board friends are to her and getting upset when we tell her that her screen time's over because, you know, like, I have a friend who's about to quit Hopscotch and we have to talk her out of it. Anyway, uh, we looked at her posts on the message board and she's definitely like putting herself out there. I mean, it's not like she's like saying her name and address or whatever, but like her opinions on hot button issues, you know, for example, like parsing the difference between gay and straight and bi and trans and talking about her fears and her insecurities and friend drama, like real life friend drama. It's in general like stuff that feels pretty intense for a just turned 11 year old. And we're not, like, worried about security or anything like that, as far as I can tell. I mean, I don't know for sure, but it seems like the boards are moderated by adults, and it's a school-sanctioned product, and pretty much everyone on it seems to be a kid. But we're, like, just a little worried about her, about her getting so emotionally attached to these message boards that she, you know, is, like, attached to these message board randos who are definitely going to, you know, fade away eventually, as all people on message boards do, and who are not necessarily a real friends who have her best interests at heart. Uh, so we sat down with her. Here's the question. We sat down very non-confrontationally, and we talked to her about it. We said that we hoped that she would feel comfortable asking us some of the questions that she's asking the people on these message boards and talking to us about the stuff that is in her heart that she's worried about. We said that we really think that she is a little bit young to be putting, like, her heart and soul on the Internet, that it may be when she's older Online communities become really important to her, but we want her to use the hopscotch boards right now for what they're really intended for, to talk about the app, to talk about coding tricks. And she agreed uh, and is sort of complying, like her posts are less personal, but still with some, like, drama attached. Uh, and I'm sure she will, like, sort of head back in that direction because that's, like, the natural way of things. So anyways, should we have uh, done it this way? Did we handle it right? Is this a triumph or a fail or somewhere in between? Should we? Oh, my God. Never in the history of listener calls has anyone called in and been so long-winded that it's been cut off. That guy seems really tortured about this question. <laughs> Finish, it Finish it off. Finish it off, Dan. Sa- he sounds handsome. <laughs> uh, <laughs> this is one we would have been now. like, we would have sent to Anne and been like, Anne, can you edit this way down? Right. Yeah. No, I've, I'm a lot more sympathetic now to people going on and on windily on our, our phone line. Uh, so here's the question. Should we have like, should we have set down a harder line? Should we've just said, forget it. Like you need to get off hopscotch for a while. Should, or should we have like embraced this relatively safe online community as like sort of like training wheels, social media, especially because we can read everything she does. What should we have done? Or did we handle it right? Or is there no right way to handle this? Allison, what do you think? I'm honored that you're asking me. I'm curious what my co-host thinks, but I um, joker. He doesn't. He doesn't know. I don't really get what you're upset about. Um, I mean, I didn't. You know, I haven't seen her posts, and I. You're not entirely fully explaining, nor do you need to the nature of them. But I don't know. She's expressing herself. 
online in a in what you as long as it actually is a safe environment. She's expressing herself, her you know personal or political views. Um, she's making connections, even if those aren't you know people who are going to last in her lives. I mean, something that you said, something that the caller said about like these aren't real friends. They don't have her real best interest at heart. I'm not sure like necessarily the kids she hangs out with at school and maybe would tell this stuff to over lunch, you can assume have her best interests at heart either. Not that the world is a terrible place, but like, I don't know that you can divide like people who you talk to in person want to help you. People that you talk to online want to hurt you. Uh, So yeah, I think probably unless you sensed that this whole experience was kind of making her seem off or troubling her when she was not online, I don't really see what the problem is. I think that's probably good advice for this caller. So I was interested in this, so I actually did a little reporting on this one um, for Dan and his daughter, Myra. I talked uh, this afternoon to the CEO of Hopscotch, uh, who's named Jocelyn Levitt, and asked her about like what the moderation is like on the site because it, you know the caller didn't seem clear on that question. He wasn't doing a particularly good job, it seemed like, paying attention to what his kids were doing online, honestly. Um, and the moderation is pretty good on this particular site. Like it's users flag posts and then there are adult moderators who remove anything that has two flags and put adult eyes on it. There are also adults who are just sort of coasting through these message boards and reading stuff and making sure that things are happening. And more than that, and this is something that um, – that I've seen on Hopscotch, there's a real ethos on the site toward like sort of steering people toward uh, staying on topic, the topic being coding. And of course, people tend to talk about anything, but then they too tend to steer those conversations back to coding. And people are like nice about it. The site seems very supportive. People in general seem to have adopted this this philosophy of of helping people and not being mean to them. And like, it seems clear. And also, it really is like all kids. Like there's like, a couple of adults who are parents of kids who use hopscotch who are also on asking questions, but generally it's like all kids. So I think it is a pretty safe environment. And I think that you're probably right, Allison, that, that this is an environment in which young Myra can sort of flex these uh, online interaction muscles that are probably going to be a big part of her life uh, in the future in a relatively safe space. So I do think that, that the, the caller freaked out a little bit, perhaps because just the idea that these strangers were getting access to the inside of his kid's head when it's harder for him to get access to the his inside of his kid's head as she gets older was something that was like a visceral jolt to him, but it's something he'd better get used to. Yeah, I mean, I thought I found it sweet that the caller asked Myra to, instead of talking to these people online, talk to him or uh, to her mother, but come on. Because she's, she's not going to. Yeah. Uh, are you going to go back to Myra on your way to... Uh, Bamilton and <laughs> tell her that she can she can go back to being herself. Uh, I mean, I think she basically is already headed that way, so I think we're just going to let it play out. Okay. Yeah. All right, let's move on. If you, uh, like Caller Dan, have a question you really want experts like us to address, give us a call. Once again, 424-255-7833. Let's move on to our next topic. My kids fight, of course, all the time. They fight pretty much every day. Yesterday, they got in a huge screaming argument about the definition of a sharp turn. Uh, it ended with both of them in tears and like shouting at each other in the driveway. But more of their fighting is about normal stuff. Like usually it's who gets a toy or whose shirt is this or who gets to go first. It can feel sometimes like I need the skills of a professional hostage negotiator to navigate these fights. Or 
do I need the skills of a game theorist? Kevin Zolman is a game theorist and a professor of philosophy at Carnegie Mellon. With journalist Paul Rayburn, he's the author of The Game Theorist's Guide to Parenting. Kevin and Paul, co-authors of this cool book, are here to teach us a little bit about how to deal with the toughest negotiators we will ever face, our children. Hi, guys. Hi, how are you? Hi. So to start off, maybe for those listeners who are not game theorists, what is game theory? So the way we describe it is it's the science of strategic thinking. So the idea here is that, you know, any time that you're engaged in an interaction with somebody else where you care about what they do and they care about what you do, you're engaging in what we call a game. That is a strategic interaction where each of you matter to the other one. And game theory is a kind of mathematical theory that's designed to try and help you make decisions in those kind of problems. In the book, we try and take the mathematics away and just distill the kind of basic lessons that have been learned using this mathematical theory that could be applicable for parents. So in essence, it's basically every interaction with your kids is important to each of you, potentially for different and competing reasons. And this helps you understand the various permutations that these interactions can have. That's right. And it's also true that game theory applies in situations where the person you're negotiating with has a strategy that affects your strategy. For example, like a game of chess, you can plot out exactly how you want to move your pieces, but that is dependent at every move with what your opponent does. And that's the situation uh, that game theory describes very well. Does game theory require rational actors? Well, that's an interesting question. Um, Game theory... You know, it's very complex mathematics, which I hasten to add, as Kevin said, is not in the book, <laughs> but but it can get very hairy. And an interesting question is, uh, why do we behave according to the rules of game theory? Uh, we weren't born and didn't grow up knowing all this mathematics, yet we follow it as if we did. And I think the answer to that is that uh, game theory reflects something about human nature that developed over millions of years of evolution. For example, we talk a lot in the book about fairness and how kids have an intense interest in making sure that things are fair, that if they divide a box of Skittles, everybody gets the same number exactly. Uh, And the reason for that is that that, too, is part of our nature that goes back a long, long way. We know why that goes back, or we know it goes back at least as far as our ancestors, the ancestors we shared with monkeys, because monkeys also show... Uh, an interest in fairness. Uh, In one great experiment that you can find on YouTube, an experimenter rewarded a monkey for various tasks with a piece of cucumber. And that was fine until he rewarded the monkey in the next cage with grapes, which is a real treat. And the next time he tried to give a cucumber to the first monkey, the monkey threw it back in his face. So even monkeys and small children (laughs) are very interested in fairness. And game theory somehow reflects uh, the, the way they behave. I love that question, Allison, because I, I, you're clearly wondering whether your children could ever be rational actors. Right. Yes, that's why I'm <laughs> yeah. asking the question. Yeah. Uh, so, so with that in mind, explain the auction technique for solving this age-old problem of siblings not wanting to share. That's Kevin's department. Yeah. Yeah, sure. So the, one of the things that's a real problem for parents is when you have some single good that both kids want, but you can't cut it in half or divide it. Like, who's going to name the family pet or who gets the larger bedroom? And so you have to try and figure out how can you give this to the children in a way that the kids will, will deem fair. And we recommend using auctions. 
So you have kids bid in order to get the thing that they want, whether that's the larger room or naming the family pet. And it might seem a little unfair or miserly to have them bid with money. So what we recommend instead is that they bid with chores or something that they both kind of dislike, but that you're, as a parent, happy to have them do. And so they might, you know, say, start the bidding with a very simple chore, like picking up one toy. And then another might bid, well, I'll pick up the whole room. And then another will say, well, I'll do the dishes for a week. And they can go back and forth. And then once they've settled on, one of them's willing to do more chores in order to get the desired good. Both kids are happy in a sense, because one gets the larger room, but also has to pay a cost. And the other one says, well, although I'd like the larger room, I definitely don't want to have to pay that big cost in order to get it. So that's a way to divide something between your kids that makes them both sort of neither one envy the other one. And that's a way to get at fairness between your children. And in the book, we talk about different ways that auctions can be run and different ways that you might try with your family to structure an auction amongst your kids. So I both love that idea and also foresee an inevitable problem with then kids, my kids not carrying out the promises that they made, which leads to my next question, which is about (laughs) credible versus non-credible threats. So when I yell at my kids, you said you were going to do the dishes for a week, and if you don't, I'm going to whatever. I'm going to ground you, or I'm going to take away television for four days, or I'm going to remove you from screens. Now, of course, if I take away their television, I'm just screwing myself. (laughs) Uh, If I don't let them on screens, I give up the all-important third parent in our home, the computer. And so it's really hard for me to follow through on those threats without making my own life harder. One of my favorite sections of the book talks about this dilemma. So what is the difference in game theory between a credible and a non-credible threat? Well, here's a we we talk in the book about a, a a situation called moral hazard. This comes out of economics, and it but it applies very well to families. And the idea of moral hazard is you put your kids in a situation that induces them to behave in a way that you don't want them to behave. So here's one of the examples we use. Suppose your daughter gets uh, an allowance of ten dollars a week, and from that allowance she's supposed to save something to buy popcorn when you go to the movies on the weekend. So it gets to be Thursday afternoon, Friday, and she's and then Saturday, time to go to the movies, and it turns out, guess what? She spent her $10. Now, do you as the parent say, well, it's okay this week, I will buy the popcorn, but next week you save your money? Or do you say, I'm sorry, you spent your money that you were supposed to save, you'll have to budget better next week, no popcorn today. Well, that's a tough thing for a parent to do. You're out, you're going to the movies for fun, actually, and for everybody to end their week on a nice note. And the last thing you want to do is seem to punish your child uh, on that uh, trip outside. So the problem is, however, that if you go ahead and bail out your child, and of course, if I use the words bail out, suddenly we, this is something we know about. I think most of us feel, you know, intuitively that it's a bad idea to bail kids out all the time. But in fact, if you bail out your kids, you know, when they've spent their allowance, you might find that you're bailing them out on a lot of other things. And uh, this situation of moral hazard, you know, without being too grim about it, can lead to all kinds of things. If you bail them out of trouble they get into at school and 
bail them out of God knows, you know, involvement with alcohol or drugs when they're teenagers, you could have a very bad situation. So you want to be certain that when you make that kind of a deal with your kids, uh, that you stick to it. And all that complicated mathematics that we keep talking about backs that up. So, Kevin, I read in the an interview you did with a, a Slate writer that you don't have kids. And I'm curious if writing this book changed your perception of what parenting is like. Does it seem easier to conquer now that you're like, oh, well, you can just use game theory or does it actually seem harder? Oh, no, it seems harder. <laughs> it definitely <laughs> seems harder. Yeah, no, I mean, I do think the game theory is really helpful and certainly something that, that I would use. But, you know, I started talking to a lot of my friends. Uh, I have many friends who are both game theorists and parents. And so I started talking to them uh, about this when I started writing the book. And I just sort of failed to appreciate with before I thought about it how many really difficult situations parents are confronting. And, I mean, game theory can help, but it's also not going to solve every parenting problem you ever face, I'm sorry to say. But, uh, and so as a result, I, I definitely am, am more afraid of the prospect of parenting than I was probably before I got the book. <laughs> Uh, all right. Well, thank you so much, Paul Rayburn and Kevin Zolman. The book is totally fun. It's called The Game Theorist's Guide to Parenting. We will have a link to buy it on our Facebook page, facebook.com slash mom and dad are fighting. Paul and Kevin, thanks a lot. Thank you. Thanks a lot. And best of luck with your kids. Thank you. We need thanks. <laughs> mom and dad are fighting is also also brought to you by Casper. Buying a mattress is a huge pain. You have to pick it out. You have to get it home and then you sleep on it for like a week and you're like, oh, I hate this. But what are you going to do? Bring it back? No. So what's the solution? The solution is Casper. The Casper is an obsessively engineered mattress made in America and sold at a shockingly fair price. It combines springy latex and supportive memory foam to create an award-winning sleep surface with just the right sink and just the right bounce. It's so award-winning, in fact, that Time Magazine named it one of the best inventions of 2015. If you order a Casper, you get to try it for 100 nights, risk-free, in your own home. You can sleep on it for, like, more than three months. And if you don't love it, they'll pick it up and refund you everything you paid. You get free shipping. You get free returns to the U.S. and Canada. And if you are a listener of Mom and Dad are Fighting, you get 50 bucks towards any mattress purchase by visiting casper.com slash momanddad and using the promo code momanddad. That's once again at casper.com slash mom and dad, promo code M-O-M-A-N-D-D-A-D. Terms and conditions, of course, apply. All right, let's move on to recommendations. Allison, what do you got? Uh, okay, so we just finished reading The Little Prince to the Boys. Uh, I never read it as a child, as with most classic books. Uh, and man, is it beautiful and strange and yeah. sad and entrancing. I just loved it. And they loved it, which I was surprised about because it's so abstract. But I don't just want to rec recommend The Little Prince, which I feel like is a book that people probably have. Uh, I want to recommend spending a little extra money to get the – this sounds gimmicky, but it's not – to get the deluxe pop-up version, uh, which came out last year and takes the already beautiful illustrations and uses paper engineering to create these really – gorgeous little bursts of pop-up hands-on art on nearly every page that you can, you know, you spin things and move things. Uh, it makes the book really thick and extremely delicate. So store it in a safe place so that your children don't rip it to shreds. I'm shocked that my children haven't, uh, but it's really worth spending the extra money on to get this edition. That is a great recommendation. That book is beautiful. The pop-up version is beautiful. I'm going to add two recommendations on top of that. 
which is if your kids really love the story, there's also a really great comics version of it that a French cartoonist named um, Joanne Safar did. He's a really, really great cartoonist that's also beautiful and interesting and complicates the story in a couple of interesting ways. And then also, if it's ever playing anywhere near you, there's a beautiful children's opera by Rachel Portman, who's also a film composer, um, about called The Little Prince, which is a great introduction to sort of simple opera for little kids. And my kids have seen it and loved it. And it's actually that that was their first interaction with this story. And it got them really interested in the book. That's so cool. Yay. Thank you for adding that. Sure. Um, my uh, recommendation is so much less beautiful and so much more utilitarian than yours. Uh, it's umbrellas from Ikea. Uh, so Allison, how many umbrellas would you say your family has lost in the last year? 492. Okay. So that's a huge expense, right? Yes. Um, and we were getting very frustrated by this as well. And I discovered that Ikea sells really good, big umbrellas and fold up ones if you want them, but also like big, well-constructed, sturdy, nicely designed umbrellas for four bucks. Wow. And they will send them to you for like a little bit of shipping. So you can like go onto the Ikea site uh, and get the Kanala umbrella, K-N-A-L-L-A. Um, and it comes in black and then also in some attractive patterns and designs. Uh, you can get like 20 of them for 80 bucks. Or do they you have can do kid size too? They have like little foldable ones, which are perfectly appropriate for kids. Yeah. Um, and I think those are a little, I think those are maybe five bucks. But anyways, they're cheap and they're really well made and you can just like buy a shitload of them like we did. And now if for the next two years, we probably won't run out of umbrellas. And when we find, inevitably do, we'll just order more from Ikea. Uh, okay. That is another great one. Better than our previous, uh, last was last week the Heroset and uh, Egg in a Toad in a Hole. Uh, toad in a hole. Hey, yeah. we had listeners write to us about toad in a hole. We did, like, we did, we did. That's true. We, I made that, and plus, yours, your recommendation inspired an important debate about who built the pyramids. <laughs> All right. Okay, that's our show. Visit our Facebook page at facebook.com slash mom and dad are fighting. Send us an email at mom and dad at slate.com to suggest guests or topics or tell us what you think of grit or how you scored on the grit scale. Mom and dad are fighting as part of the Panoply Network. Check out Panoply's full roster of shows at iTunes.com slash Panoply. Thanks to our producer, Ann Hepperman. Thanks to Steve Lichtai, the managing producer of Slate Podcasts, and Andy Bowers, head of Panoply. Thanks to our guests, Dan Angber, Paul Rayburn, and Kevin Zolman. Thank you, Dan. Thank you, Allison. And thank you all for listening. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.